Romans 10, beginning at verse 14. How then will they call on Him in whom they have never believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Isaiah he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Paul in this passage leaves no room for excuses. We live in a world of excuses. Back when I started college, I know it was a long time ago in some of your uh, perspectives and a short time in others, um, on the first day of class when I arrived, they would give us this piece of paper that had the syllabus. It would let us know what was coming. They would give us the idea of the, uh, the way the course was going to go, some elements of what was going to be covered. And then these funny things called due dates. You know what a due date is? Here's an assignment. Turn it in on time. You know this at the beginning of the semester. It's very helpful to have this information. Usually, the research papers were more toward the end of the course, so you knew it was coming, and you could do one of two things. You could either recognize, okay, here are the components that this is going to take to get this done, start to spread it out at the beginning of the, the semester, so you're ready by the time it comes, or you can say, I'll take care of that later. And when you take that latter approach, <laughs> without a doubt, something will come up. Well. Eventually, the due date comes. You, it comes, of course, at the most busy time that you've had. It always happened that way. And whether you're sick or whether you had to work to pay for your tuition, no matter what the case may be, the paper is still, it's still due. So some people would show up to class with an unfinished, and uh, you could make every excuse in the book. I was sprayed by a skunk and my roommates wouldn't let me in the dorm. That, that'll work. But last night I had my appendix out and, and now what am I supposed to do? Or, you know, the age-old one, the dog ate it. I thought you'd like that picture. So after you make whatever excuse you choose or the multiple excuses you bring to the table, what is your professor going to say? No problem. Turn it in tomorrow. Just know this. You're starting at an 80. In other words, you just lost 20 points off of your score. That's part of the deal. 
but, 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 but my aunt is in the hospital. And the professor might say something like, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. Do you, would you like to speak with the chaplain? <laughs> and then, no, no, I just don't want to lose the 20 points. The question that goes through the professor's mind is, how long have you known that this due date was coming? You knew it was coming, and you didn't prepare. And the question might be asked, so, so what happened? And the student has nothing to say. Crickets. The excuses are taken away. Excuses will not get the job done. And in our passage this morning, Paul eliminates the excuses of everyone who refuses to embrace the glorious gospel that God has accomplished in Christ and offered to the world. Paul eliminates their excuses. Everything that is needed to accomplish our salvation has been done. God sends forth a plea for people to turn from their sin and turn to Him for salvation. The plea has been issued. And the call is, do not stubbornly refuse. Do not stubbornly refuse the salvation that God has offered to you through Christ. So we're going to dive into the passage now with the first concept that we see is that salvation requires the proclamation of the gospel. Salvation requires the proclamation of the gospel. Again, let's take a look at verses 14 and 15. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Paul concluded the last section with the, the famous and important words in verse 13 that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is true for Jews. This is true for Gentiles. This is true for those who are Caucasian. This is true for those who are black. This is true for those who are Asian. It's true for everyone. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's how he concluded the last portion of his discussion. And as he introduces the next portion, he lets us know that there's a process. He basically deconstructs it. He says, okay, how do we get to the point of a person calling on the name of the Lord for salvation? And so he moves in backwards direction. How does a person come to this point? Calling upon the name of the Lord is preceded by believing in the heart. And believing is preceded by hearing. And hearing is preceded by preaching. And preaching is preceded by someone being sent to preach. So one preaches, someone hears, someone believes, and the result is they call upon the name of the Lord. So he just does it in backwards order. He's letting us know. 
preaching is accomplished by those who are sent or commissioned. That's what we see in verse 15. How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so he points to an Old Testament passage. And I invite you to turn to that Old Testament passage. Isaiah 52, please. The 52nd chapter of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is the first of the major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. It comes after the poetic books. You know the poetic books? Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Then you've got Isaiah. That's where we're headed. Isaiah 52. And we're going to get just a little flavor of the context so that we can really embrace what Paul is saying here, what God is saying through Paul in Romans chapter 10. So the context we're going to read is from verses 6 and 7. God says, Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. This is a beautiful passage. God's messenger delivers God's voice. God is speaking. In verse 7, the messenger doesn't carry his own message, but the message of the king. And what is the message of the king? He comes with a message of good news. Good news, not bad news. That's what you get when you turn on Fox or CNN or C-SPAN or whatever news source that you go to, the Atlantic or the Daily Wire, whatever your particular pleasure is to get your news, you're seeing bad news all over the place, 24-7. But the messenger of God brings the good news, and the good news is the, the offer of salvation in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, the messenger brings this good news. He brings a message of peace, it says in verse 7. Peace. He brings a message of, this is a great one, you don't, you don't hear this a lot, happiness, a message of joy, a message that rejoices the heart. Did you know that one of the fruits, the demonstrations of the Spirit, is joy? This is a result of the message coming forth, the message being heard, the message being believed and the person that hears it and believes it calling on the name of the Lord and God placing his spirit within them and God producing love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. God's spirit doing a work of bringing joy into our hearts. This messenger brings this message of happiness or joy. Because there's a response. He also tells us that it is a message of salvation in verse 7. He publishes salvation. Where is that salvation found? 
in no other name but the one name under heaven given whereby we must be saved. This message also is a message of victory. The end of verse 7, this is what he says. Your God reigns. Do you live like you believe that? Every day you're confronted with some form of difficulty, whether it's physical, financial, emotional, all kinds of bad news. The question is, do you, do you receive that difficulty in light of the fact that your God reigns? Well, the messenger comes forth and he delivers this proclamation and it's a message not only of uh, good news, peace, happiness, and salvation, but it is a, uh, a message of victory that our God reigns. Now, this fact of the, the, uh, the messenger of God delivering God's message and delivering God's voice is affirmed to us elsewhere. And I want you to join me, please, in taking a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're talking about the fact that salvation doesn't come without the proclamation of the gospel. The gospel must be proclaimed in order for someone to hear the gospel, believe the gospel, and call upon the name of the Lord. So the, the gospel is going forward. The gospel is a communication that is brought from a messenger. That's wonderful. But it is conveying not our message, but the message of our reigning, saving God. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Take a look at verse 11. We're just going to read the first sentence of verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. In other translations, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade others. Knowing what's on the line, knowing what's at stake, Life and death are at stake. Heaven and hell are at stake. Knowing the gravity of the situation, we seek to persuade others. Look down in the passage a little bit at verse 18. Verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, not only did God do this work through Christ of bringing us from being at enmity with God, separate from God, at war with God, he brought us into a relationship with God where we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But not only that, he's entrusted you and me with a ministry of telling other people about this glorious reconciliation offered through Christ. God has given us a ministry. Look at verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God has given us this, this joyful task 
of being the messengers, the mouthpieces, the voice of God with the message of God calling people to the salvation that God offers. This is good news. Now listen, it gets even better. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That has the idea of one who goes on behalf of another to convey his message. But listen to what it says in the next part of verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. God making His appeal through us. That makes us, what? A channel. A channel of of whom? A channel of God. A channel of what? God's glorious message of salvation. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. What does He say? Say it with me, please. Be reconciled to God. God's call. It goes forth. But who does he use? People like me? People like you? This isn't for the super saint. This isn't for the super pastor. This isn't for the super evangelist. This isn't for the super apostle. This is for the believer in Jesus Christ. If you've trusted Christ, that means it's you. You are an ambassador for Christ. God has entrusted to you the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, you've you've got this task. Okay, this is more than I can bear. But listen, it's you're an ambassador for Christ. And God makes his appeal to people through you. What are you telling them? Be at peace with God. Be reconciled to God. Be made right before God. But it's not you who makes yourself right. He's done what's necessary to make you reconcile to Himself. God has done all the work through Christ because that's how He reconciled the world to Himself through the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so we have this mission, this call in our lives. A few important truths to encourage those who are the messengers. Ready? Can I I do this? I don't often ask you to raise your hand. If you're born again, that makes you a messenger. If you're a messenger, will you raise your hand? I have some encouragement for you this morning. As a messenger of God, first of all, we don't make this appeal in our own strength. We don't make this appeal in our own strength. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 just for a moment. Just one chapter back to your left. Look down at verse 7. He says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to whom? God! And not to us. It's not about me. It's not about my intellect. It's not about my wonderful... uh, Uh, eloquent, manipulative way. We don't come with manipulation. Here's the truth. God created the world perfectly. Man chose to rebel against Him. And I'm one of those men. And you're one of those men or women who chose to rebel against Him. And that sin results in death. But God in His mercy sent His Son Jesus Christ to bear the penalty for your sin. To remove your sin from you forever. And He raised Him triumphant. 
to provide you with eternal righteousness. Your sin will condemn you, but God's way will save you. Be reconciled to God. It's, it's not complicated. The, the, the power of the message is not you. It's not the deliverer or the deliveree. The power of the message resides in Him. It's natural to have this human fear to hold back, to not know when to say it. Natural. Remember this, messenger. The strength is not about your strength. Just deliver the message. Tell them of what God has done for you. Tell them of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Because if they don't hear, they can't believe. If they don't believe, they can't call. It starts with the proclamation of the message. We don't do this in our own power. We've also been promised the presence of God in it. Remember this from the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am, what does it say? With you. How often? Always. Where? To the end of the age. Wherever you go, for as long as you go, no matter where you are, you go with the message? Are you a messenger? God's not going to forsake you with that message. This is necessary. Additional comfort, additional encouragement. We've been promised the power of God through the Spirit of God who dwells in us. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. I'll flash it across the screen for a moment here. We receive power when the Spirit comes upon us. He's made us witnesses. For them, that first generation, the apostles and prophets, they were in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We're in Warwick, Cranston, Coventry, West Warwick, wherever you come from. You're one of those people from, that drives over 195 and you're from East Providence, Riverside, Rehoboth, Massachusetts. Wherever you're from, Smithfield, Woonsocket, wherever you are, the Spirit is in you. From there, you go out. With what? The gospel. With whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. With what power? The power of the Spirit who dwells within you. We've been promised success on this mission. We've been promised success on this mission. I'm just going to make reference to a, a passage that you're familiar with. The sower went forth to sow. Remember that one? He sows, some of it falls on the hard soil, some of it uh, falls on the Thorny soil, some of it falls on the rocky soil, some of it falls on the good soil. What is the point? Sow the seed, right? And some of it will fall on the good soil, and what's going to happen? It will yield some 30, some 60, and some 90-fold. The success is not dependent upon me. The success is dependent upon Him. He will do the work. So you and I go and do the ministry. We've been called as messengers from Him. Before we move on beyond this, we recognize the importance of our call. I want to um, let you see John Stott. John Stott is a 
Well, he's with the Lord now. So he made a great statement about this passage. Listen carefully to what he says. Thus, unless some people are commissioned for the task, there will be no gospel preachers. Unless the gospel is preached, sinners will not hear Christ's message and voice. Unless they hear him, they will not believe the truths of his death and resurrection. Unless they believe these truths, they will not call on him. And unless they call on him, they will not be saved. You see what's on the line? This is what Paul's pointing out to us. In the first eight chapters, he, he led us through the importance of the gospel and he told us that the reason we need the gospel is because left to our own devices, in our own way, we're sinners, we're headed for hell. He's told us that very clearly. But he tells us in chapters 4 and 5 very clearly that God through Christ was, was willing to justify us, make us right with God. Glorious chapter 6, 7, and 8. We see God working in the lives of believers and making these glorious promises about what is for us. And so every difficulty we face, we can understand, okay, I might not like it, but the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in me. Very good. Okay, there's nothing in this whole world that can separate me from the love of God is in Christ Jesus. This is great. All these promises. And then he comes to chapter 9 and he says, and yet here I am pining and struggling and, and twisting because of my fellow brethren the Jews don't know Christ. They are condemned. They were, all these promises were made to them and they've got none of them. And he, and he reads, leads us through chapter 9 and all the glorious truths there in chapter 10. He, he again says he has this, this burden and desire for his, his brethren of the flesh to be saved. He prays for them and he preaches to them and he tells us what God has done and how a person, whether Jew or Gentile, can call upon the name of the Lord. This is all good. And then he tells us in verses 14 and 15 that there's got to be a preacher so there can be a hearer, so there can be a believer and one who calls the name of the Lord for that salvation. You see his process? You see what he's thinking? God the Spirit is leading him through these courses. But can you feel the flow of it? Okay, so now we get back to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 you know, verses 14 and 15, as I try to convey them for our edification, are to call you and I to the task that's been given to us of proclaiming the gospel, right? Paul uses it a little bit differently than I just presented it. What he's doing is he's saying, okay, this is what's necessary for a person to be saved. In verse 16 now, what he says is, but... They have not all obeyed the gospel. And so what we have in our notes for our next main idea is proclamation does not guarantee belief in the gospel. Proclamation does not guarantee belief in the gospel. Have, have they not all obeyed the gospel? For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. Paul speaks of people's disbelief as disobedience. In other words, to reject the gospel that is offered as disobeying the call of God. And Paul uses 
Isaiah 53 now. Now, we were just in Isaiah 52 a moment ago where he was telling us about the the message being God's voice and the messenger proclaiming what? Uh, Peace and good news and happiness and salvation and victory. But then he turns our attention to Isaiah 53. Now, do you know what's happening in Isaiah 53? He starts to let us know about the suffering servant. Remember, he was... He was um, stricken for our iniquities. Remember that? There's a, there's a lot in Isaiah 53. Well, Isaiah 53 starts off this way. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is what Paul quotes in light of verse 16. They have not all obeyed the gospel. He reminds us that Isaiah has seen despite the fact in in the face of the fact that the gospel the good news was proclaimed that people didn't believe it because proclamation doesn't guarantee reception and belief and embracing this rejection of God's gracious offer of forgiveness happens again and again and perhaps there's someone here in our hearing whether it be in the auditorium or through the camera, or just through some airwaves, maybe you have been one of those that has heard the gospel again and again and has not come to the point of embracing it, believing it, and trusting Christ, calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. I want you to understand, and I want us to understand, whether we're believers or unbelievers, the significance of what happens when we reject God's gracious offer of salvation. See, it's not all sunshine and rainbows and puppy dogs and butterflies in life. There are problems, too, and there are consequences to rejecting the gracious offer of the Lord. And we have to understand the significance of this. So I invite you to look with me in your Bibles at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. You see... Paul makes reference to the fact that they disobeyed the gospel. God calls for people to be reconciled to him. He calls for a response of faith. And people say, no, thank you. They disobey that call. Paul is going to utilize that same expression again in 2 Thessalonians. And in this context, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, he's going to tell us what the problem with that rejection really is. Verse 5 of 2 Thessalonians 1. Listen, please, intently. There is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant you relief and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, listen carefully, when he is revealed in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction 
away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in the saints and to be marveled at among those who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Can you feel the heaviness and the weight of what Paul is saying about someone that would not obey the call to come? What is the consequence? Is to remain in one's sin. And the wages of sin is death. What kind of death? Eternal death. This is not a one and done annihilation kind of thing. This is a day in and day on, day on, day in, day out, on and on. Just recompense of reward. That ought to bring about a lot of sobriety to what the ministry is that we've been called to. Because what hangs in the balance is eternal life over against eternal punishment. And so, my friend, have you obeyed the gospel? What does it mean to obey the gospel? Here's the gospel. You're a sinner. Your sin is not going to help you to get to God. Your sin separates you from God. God will judge that sin, whether in eternal judgment or there's option B. It's really option A. Option B is eternal judgment. Option A is Jesus became sin for us even though he knew no sin. He died the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Your sin will cause you to be eternally separated from God, but Jesus paid the price so that rather than you paying the eternal weight of your sin, Jesus paid that once for all payment for your sin. Come, turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ and be reconciled to God. This is the offer of the gospel. But many did not obey the gospel. They said, no thank you. I will do it my way. And that's to say, I choose my sin. I choose my way. And this will never result, never, in eternal salvation. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. That's right. Except through me. So proclamation of the gospel does not guarantee its reception or its belief. We understand the significance of this problem. Who has believed our report? The reason it's not believed, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2, it wasn't mingled with faith. They didn't understand. They heard the message, but it didn't profit them because it wasn't mingled with faith. You must believe the gospel. What should believers do? What should the messenger do in the face of someone else's unbelief? We'll head back to Romans chapter 10 and we'll talk about it for just a moment. What do we do when we're giving the gospel and it meets with unbelief? What do we do? Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. What we want to recognize here is our last concept. 
We'll cover the rest of the passage, and we'll try to do it pretty efficiently. Proclamation of the gospel can produce faith. That's what we want to notice in the rest of this passage. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The literal reading of verse 17 is this, so then faith out of hearing and hearing through word of Christ. A little stilted. Well, it's the Greek mind. You don't have a Greek mind. Maybe you do, but you don't speak Greek, so it's not how your mind processes things. But, but think about it. So then, we've got these preachers, people that are sent, and we have disbelief. No one's believing the message. What do we do? So then, faith out of hearing. What is he telling us to do? Preach. Hearing through the Word of Christ. What does it mean? Keep speaking the Word of Christ. Keep speaking the Gospel. His response to have they not disbelieved the Gospel is keep preaching the truth. Keep telling them of Christ. Keep offering them the solution. Keep uh, being the mouthpiece of God. Keep telling people be reconciled to God. How? Through Christ. It's the Word of Christ. This is what He calls us to do. As we allow the Word of Christ to dwell abundantly in us, Colossians 3.15, it will be on our lips. We'll be quick to see life through the lens of the Gospel. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning. If your meditation is upon the Lord, if your meditation is upon the Gospel, you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and whatever bit of bad news that comes your way tomorrow, you will look at through the lens of the Gospel. Or, instead, you can look at it through the lens of the bad news. One of them will lead you toward joy and confidence and hope. Another will lead you to despair and frustration and pain. The Word of Christ. As we speak forth the Word of Christ then, we're either sowing seeds or watering seeds. Right? Who brings forth the increase? God does. 1 Corinthians 3.6 says this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So we believe in the importance of preaching the Gospel. The question that we have to ask, because this is what Paul is now presenting, was Israel's problem, were the Jews' problem of his day, was it, was it that they didn't hear the message? What was the undoing for the Jews in Paul's day? Had they not heard? Look at verse 18. But I ask. Oh, wait a second. That's what I just said. Have they not heard? What's his answer to that? Indeed, they have. It wasn't the lack of Gospel proclamation that resulted in their rejection or disbelieving the Gospel. And what Paul does to... Um, illustrate this as he uses Psalm 19, which is about you know, God giving us the, the physical sight to see God's handiwork in the heavens. And it talks about the, the sun and its course goes across the sky and everyone can feel its heat. Everyone can see it go in its course. Everyone knows that God created the world. And you might not believe it, but everyone has that 
observation because the sun goes across the sky. No one is hidden from its heat. And Paul says, this is true also of the gospel of his day. The, the gospel message has gone out. And he uses that concept that, that, it's, that it's, it's been seen from the end of the world. There's no excuse. The gospel message has been broadcast. I have a couple of references for you. We don't have time to read them. Colossians 1, 5, and 6. We read to start our service this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. The testimony of the Thessalonian believers was so vast that wherever Paul went, people already heard the gospel. That was in his, in his region because their, their gospel testimony had made an impact. It was in Paul's area of influence that the gospel had made its impact wherever he went. And wherever he went, the first place he went was to the synagogue to preach to the Jews, which is, brings us back to the beginning of Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Well, maybe there's another problem. It's not that they didn't hear it. Maybe they just didn't understand it. Maybe that's the problem. Look at verse 19. But I say, did Israel not understand? Huh, sounds like I just said that. They didn't hear it. Yes, they did. They didn't understand it. Is that the problem? And he doesn't say, yes, they did in this instance. Instead of what he does is he says, I want to give you two witnesses. Two witnesses. And by two witnesses, every word will be established. They did understand, and let me tell you how. First, he quotes from Moses in verse 19. And he only quotes the second half of Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 21. He only quotes the second half. I want to give you the whole verse because it's, it's important for our, us. The people that would have read this at the time would have immediately understood this is a song of Moses. They would be familiar with it. Look at verse 21. They, Israel, have made me, God, jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So, I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. <laughs> this rejection of God had nothing to do with a lack of understanding. It just didn't suit their fancy. They preferred other things. Other things were better to them. That's the the law portion. So he first quotes Moses and says, no, it's not about not understanding because in Moses' day, when they chose other nations, they had seen my deliverance from the land. They had experienced my day-by-day -day provision of manna. They had experienced quail. They had experienced me taking care of their sandals not wearing out for 40 years as they traversed the wilderness. They know what it was like. It's not about a lack of understanding. It's about their desire for something other than God. So he first quotes Moses, and then he quotes Isaiah. So back to the prophets. Now I want you to take a look, please. At, um, actually, we're going to read verses 20 and 21, and then we'll head over to Isaiah 65. Ready? Romans 10, 20 and 21. 
Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Take a look now at Isaiah 65. God revealed himself to people that were not looking for him. That's what he's telling us here. And he's quoting Isaiah 65.1. Ready? Isaiah 65.1. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. So he's talking about Gentiles, right? And when God revealed himself to these Gentiles, guess what they did? They responded in faith. And when they responded in faith, they called on the name of the Lord. And so what did God do for them? He saved them. Because there's a message preached. There's words heard. Those words were embraced and believed. And they responded by calling on the name of the Lord. And so God saved them. Gentiles. People that were not called by His name. But now, look at verses, uh, verses 2 and 3. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. The people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks. So God reaches out to a group of people that weren't seeking to Him and they respond in faith and they receive the riches of His glory. And then God holds His hand out. How long? All day. All day to those who were called by His name. He held His arms out all day to people that were turning away from Him. What was their response to His holding His hands out all day? They walked in a way that was not good, this rebellious people, and they followed their own devices and they provoked Him Do you see how personal this is? Provoked him to his face. I don't know about you. I have a certain amount of tolerance. Then there is, there's, you know, within. I'm not just talking about me as the human, not me walking in the spirit. I'm talking about me as a human. Certain amount of tolerance, okay. I don't really want to have a conflict with someone, so you know something happens, all right. But if someone gets in my face. It's very difficult to not let my pride get the best of me. Um, And so, if someone were to get in my face and I'm not walking in the power of the Spirit, we've got real problems. You and me getting in my face, it's not going to be a pretty situation. That's just facts. God says, I'm reaching my hands out to you. Come, come. It's like your little child. Come to me. Come on, come on. And instead of coming and wrapping the arms around, come and spit in his face. I've got my own plan. Not yours. Mine. God has not given up. It's not him. In the face of Israel's constant rebellion, God reaches out all day. All day. And they said no. Israel did not avoid calling on the name of the Lord due to a lack of information or a lack of understanding. Rather, they simply didn't want what God was offering them. Last verse of Scripture, 
John 12 gives us a vivid illustration of this same concept that we see in Isaiah 65. And it's spelled out so clearly. We're only going to cut into the middle of it. We don't, we're not going to read the whole passage. Just verses 42 and 43. John 12, 42. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, what does that say? Oh, uh, wait a second. All right, this is good, right? Everyone, we're happy because we heard someone believed. We're set up. Verse, verse 42. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, did what? Believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not. What does that word say? Does that have anything to do with calling? Use your lips for this, right? They didn't call on him. They didn't confess him. They didn't confess it. Why? So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. This was what's on the table. There's God in his offer. I believe it. I believe Christ. I believe it. It makes so much sense. I can't believe it. I've been waiting all my life for the Messiah. Here he is. This is great. But I don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. That's not great. And you know, God doesn't leave us confused. He gives us verse 43. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. You see, he just spelled it out. It's not that he didn't hear. It's not that he didn't understand. It's not even in that day, in Paul's day, it's not even that they didn't think, yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. It's that they weren't willing to say, yes, that's true, and allow the cost that came with it. Because they thought there was something better here than better there. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know where you stand before the Lord. But I can tell you, if you would taste and see that the Lord is gracious... You would understand that nothing, nothing in this world can satisfy you like him. Nothing in this world even comes close to, to, to get, grabbing onto the hem of his garment. Nothing. Taste him. See him. He is great and gracious. Will you embrace him? To say no. To say no is to say, no, I love pizza and chips I love steak and potatoes. I love my car and my home and my clothes. And I like the glory of man rather than the glory of God. Just so you know, all of those things, while I like all of the things I just mentioned, they will stop at some point. I won't be able to eat them and enjoy them any longer. It will be, I will come to the end of my, my days and they're going to be gone for me. But the glory that comes from God... He is eternal. Glory lasts forever. And the Jews said, no. Nope. I'm all set. What's the problem? It's not not hearing. It's not, not understanding. It's that they chose something else. How about you? God holds his hands out to you today.
He has spoken to you in his love. It is this love that is demonstrated continually by the gift of his son. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One has been sent to you. One has preached to you. You have heard it. Two steps remain. What are those two, two steps? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what will God do? He will save you. He'll save you. Understand what God's willing to do for you. Difficulties will come, but nothing compares to the riches God offers to us. Well, how do we apply this as believers? Because you know, most of us raised our hands, right? To say, yes, I'm one of the messengers. How do we apply this? Well, briefly, the message must be proclaimed. That's pretty basic. The message must be supported. How do we support? Well, we give to missions, right? We make sure that people that are in ministry are cared for so they can continue to, to live of the gospel. The message must be demonstrated. It's not just about the proclamation of the word. It's demonstrating it with our lives. Do you believe what you are spouting out? Do you just proclaim something and live a different way? It's not, that's not how it works, brothers and sisters. Our lives need to be lived in light of whom we proclaim, whom we say we believe. This is a life calling. We must seek opportunities to share the gospel, seek ways to support gospel ministry. We must put on display before a world that we believe the message we preach. God is still saving people. And many more will follow. Did you know that? That's what Romans 11 is going to tell us. There are many more to be saved. It's going to happen. And so we do this ministry with confidence in the work of God. Let's pray together. Father, help us. Help us to embrace the gospel I pray for anyone here that's never trusted Christ. I pray even today that they would recognize that you are holding forth to them an offer of eternal salvation. Help them to believe and to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And help those of us that know you to joyously, to confidently go empowered by your Spirit fulfilling the call to tell others of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.